From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. Today's guest is Wafa Arbosh, the founder and CEO of Workaround, a company helping refugees and displaced populations find sustainable income through data labeling for machine learning algorithms. However, Wafa's story goes much deeper than her role as a founder and CEO. She is also a great example of the power of resilience. She originally came to the United States from Syria in 2013 with a plan to stay eight weeks. However, shortly after her arrival, a crisis emerged in her home country, which made it clear to her and her family that she would be much safer staying in the U.S. a little longer. Well, the crisis in Syria continues, and her original eight-week visit has turned into seven years, where she's now leveraging her talents to help displace people that are still being affected by the unrest in her home country. Wafa says that one of the keys to her success was, you need to be proactive. You need to build a toolbox for yourself that allows you to be resilient. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. So Wafa, welcome and thanks for joining me today on Innovators on Tap. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I know that you originally came to the U.S. back in 2013 from Syria and that your original plan was, I think, to stay for like eight weeks. It's now 2020. You have two master's degrees. You're the founder and the CEO of Workaround, which is based in Boston. And so I kind of want to know, how did you go from an eight-week visit to a career and a life here in the U.S.? So basically, when I arrived to the U.S. from Syria in 2013, I was supposed to stay here just two months. Um, And because the situation in Syria started getting really bad, so I applied for school and I applied for my visa to stay here. And I was like, okay, I'm going to finish my master's and go back. (laughs) So I started, uh, I told my family, oh, I think I'm going to stay. They were like, okay, stay stay in the U.S. because they know if I go back to Syria during the war, I my work was like to travel between uh, cities in Syria. So, and I never wanted to stay home. So it was very dangerous. So they were like, if we make sure that you're safe, just stay in the U.S. because we know we're not going to be able to control you when you come back. So then I, I stayed here and I just finished my school. And that's when I founded uh, Workaround. And uh, now my family don't trust me that I'm staying here for two months. For many of us, I think what we know about Syria is what we've seen on the news. And mm-hmm. most of it's about the refugee crisis. And, you know, I think we're aware of the civil war. What was Syria like before the civil war? Um, Syria is a beautiful country. That's how I started learning English. Like we had a lot of people visiting um, Syria from abroad where people try to learn like different languages and learn Arabic. Um, Syria has a lot of like culture. It's a historical it's, it's, it's a historical country, and where I'm coming from, it's where the civilization started, basically. So I know that your dad passed away when you were younger, and as well, I think, a sister. And, and now you've obviously been here as your home country has been really devastated by a civil war. So 
I'm curious, how have these experiences taught you about resiliency and how you think they've shaped you as both an entrepreneur and as a leader? When we start, for example, the pandemic, right? I was like, I've been there before. I was like, this is easy. We just have to stay home. We have access to the internet. We have 24-7 electricity and food can be delivered to us. I'm like, easy. I don't know why people are complaining about we have a pandemic. Uh, I was like, at least we're not going to die from any bombs coming over. It's really hard when you face it. It's very challenging, but I think that's what makes you grow more. And that's what gives you the tools that you need to build. Like when we, when, for example, like when my dad passed away, when my sister passed away, I was a kid. But as I grew up in my family, my sisters and my mom, they always made sure that I always need to be very responsible for my choices uh, because we're like a family of women. They like made it very clear, like I need to go and get education because they were not able to get education to support their family. So I always have this responsibility uh, attached to any action I, I take, even though sometimes I take crazy decisions, which is like, coming to the US for two months and staying, ending staying longer, like deciding not to go through the traditional uh, route of like, okay, you graduated from school, you find a job and you get just your work. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to start something from scratch. Do I know what entrepreneurship means? No, but like, it's it just all of this experience, it really gives you the tool of you being resilient and each one reminds you of something you had in the past. And like, so it's just, you need to be proactive. And that's again, like the, the, all about the toolbox you build for yourself to, to build the resilience. Yeah. I think what you're describing is this realization that at some point you recognize you can't control everything, but you can control some things. So focus on those and the rest will kind of figure itself out. And I think for so many of us, especially the ones that haven't been through tough times, that's hard the first time you go through it. But you kind of grew up with that, and it's kind of maybe a, a little bit of a, an advantage you have as an entrepreneur because you've seen things much worse than anything that could happen in business. Yep. So I'm going to shift now to your business career. And in 2016, you founded Workaround. And what I'd like you to do is, can you give us just that brief description of what is the workaround business do and why are you so passionate about it? Yeah, so workaround business, we provide uh, data labeling for machine learning. Um, and we do that by hiring refugees and displaced people overseas to do the labeling for us. The passion for this problem was the refugee crisis. Um, so when, when I moved here and the crisis got, started getting worse and worse as person who basically I survived and I escaped before the things got worse, and I just was so privileged and lucky to be out. It's always give me the guilt that's like, okay, you escaped, but that doesn't mean you're not going to look back and try to figure out how you can help. And so I started uh, doing more uh, research about the refugee crisis and figuring out like these people are educated they are skilled they have access to internet it's not like wet media show us that refugees is someone who's sitting in like refugee camps don't have shoes on like this is human being just like us they did not choose to to leave their country and but they had to leave because they're looking for their safety and better future um and that's how what's 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 my passion like providing people with income 
because providing aid basically is just not sustainable way. It's a great initial way for us to help and donate money, but how we can look beyond just donating money and figure out how you empower people to to take control over their their life and work and support their families. Can you explain what do you mean by data labeling? Why is this necessary for machine learning? Yeah, so uh, basically data labeling. So all of us, we use, um, uh, for example, Alexa or okay, Google. Or Google. Um, so in order for you to um, turn Alexa on, we have to feed, feed it with many examples. So all these audios need to be going through human beings that needs to listen to it and say like, okay, this person say Alexa, check on. So that, that though all these examples feed into the algorithm to teach the machine. When you see something similar, someone saying, Alexa, you need to turn on and etc. So that's how, and this is just a very simple example of our daily use. Yeah. So I, what people probably don't realize is that Alexa is not completely magic behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It has to learn. And that learning actually involves a human at some point. And, and so what they're doing is really connecting that so that the next time you make that question, now the computer knows what you mean. Exactly, by exactly. And like how you're going to teach robot by itself to to be able to pick um, red tomato and not to pick the green tomato because it's not ready for pickup. So just like all these examples and teaching the machines, it just requires millions of data points. I understand that when you saw this business idea initially, you realized it could be a solution for the refugee crisis because instead of saying, hey, we're sorry, here's some food, that what instead is you're really creating a sustainable business idea. So instead of the traditional charitable or a government solution, you've really gone down this, let's build a business around it. Why do you think that model works better? There was two reasons behind it. Like if if I'm personally and the company is advocating for, like saying donation is not sustainable, to provide people like to, to to keep people going then if i'm a nonprofit, i'm just like I, i'm acting against what i believe in um i'm not saying nonprofits are not great they are great i'm just saying it's not a sustainable if we don't figure out a sustainable way that's the problem so that's a point and the, the second point based when we talk to um customers and businesses they were like no i would be more likely to work for you if you're a I give you my data if you're more like a, a, a for-profit company, a business. So B2B, and yes, it's great that you you have this ch- cherry on your on the top of the cake, basically. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of, in a slightly different way, when we were first trying to get people interested in LED lighting. Mm-hmm. We're like, there's this great green technology. It's sustainable. Everyone should love it. And what you quickly realized is, is that while that appeals to some people's sense of what's right thing to do, at the end of the day, the most sustainable ideas are the ones that are financially sustainable. Mm-hmm. And that if you can connect those dots, they have this ability to go far beyond these nice ideas that otherwise, frankly, run out of money at some point. Yes. So in 10 years, what does success look like for Workaround? Um, so for uh, for us, like 2030, we'll be uh, employing um, half millions of refugees and people who need work and be able to provide uh, the best uh, data tooling and labeling for companies and to machine learning engineers and data science. Before you came to the U.S., I know that you worked for, I think, about five years where you're working on projects where you're empowering local citizens. And one of the things you worked on were their leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, 
Is leadership something that you really can teach? Or do you think some people are more born with it than others? I would say it's a little bit of both uh, because sometimes you are born with it, but you don't realize that this is leadership. Um, sometimes you need people who point things out to you and say, you know what, what you did yesterday was really awesome. That's like a really um, a leadership movement. Or you have this really initiative uh, that you always take and that's pretty awesome. So I think sometimes you're born with it, but you don't realize it and you just need the right environment to, 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 to have the self-awareness. Oh, shit, I think I have the leadership skills and I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah, that's a great observation. So I have three children, two daughters and a son, and I am sure they've been characterized differently, maybe even by their dad at some point along the way. So it's a very interesting. There are social things that we do that, you know, arbitrarily define people. So you're still pretty early in your entrepreneurial journey. What are a couple of the things, maybe two ideas that you had that if you were sitting down with a group of young aspiring entrepreneurs, what advice would you give them or what would you want them to know as they get started? I would say this is really hard. <laughs> Don't give up. Uh, make sure that you have um, the right people around you, the right um, network of in other entrepreneurs, uh, mentors, advisors who you can pick up the phone when you feel like I can do this and talk to them um, because as an entrepreneur, you go through the emotional uh, roller coasters every single day. So at this point, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to understand more about how you specifically think about certain types of problems, really your mindset and how you view innovation and entrepreneurship. So uh -huh. my first question is, if you were going to pursue innovation, what do you think is more important for the team? The brutal truths or psychological safety i think you need both uh you need both because you need to really um, have a reality check as a startup and as a innovations like okay is this is working or is it me um, or is it not working like what things we need to change so this portal truth is just like really give you the reality check where are you instead of just being in your head and having the uh, psychological that's like a so important like that's number one priorities, uh, which is how you as an entrepreneur taking care of yourself um, and your well-being and your mental health, because um, you're not going to able to to innovate or think outside of the box or figure out how you or thrive. Um, so I make, yeah, that's, I think that's a very key for you to keep going. So when you're confronted with a problem, are you more likely to think outside the box build a better box or set the box on fire or whatever, assume there is no box to begin with? It really depends on the problem and what's my options. So every time when I run into problem, I just try to figure out like, okay, what's the solution? Like what's the different paths I could take and just do pro and cons for each one. So like, okay, there's some frameworks, like, okay, if you testing a new hypothesis, like I don't have to, to think too much outside of the box because there's already all these frameworks and studies you could pull in and frameworks you could use. And it's like, okay, we're testing ABC, how are we gonna test it? What success look like for us? Who's doing this? So it's very um, pragmatic, I would say, way of solving certain problems. Some problems need absolutely thinking outside of the box, and that's 
comes to me when I'm sleeping. So I wake up, I'm like, oh God, I think this is the solution. And I just write it, write a few things down. I used to have that same phenomenon that I would go to bed with a problem, I'd fall asleep. And at some point I would wake up and like, oh, we can just connect the dots this way. It just happens. And, you know, there's actually really interesting studies that when you let your brain relax, whether it's sleeping or other things, it's why I eventually took up meditation. It's this amazing, if you can relax the brain, it can do amazing things for oh, you. Yeah. So, so when you're building your team and you're, you're meeting with someone, you're evaluating this person as whether they should be on your team or not, what quality or characteristic or what about the person do you think is most important to their success in your team? What I look at when I'm really evaluating if this person will be joining our team is basically, are they hustler? Are they going to go and try to figure things out? Or do they need just hand-holding for every single piece? So for startup, we haven't figured it all all and so therefore people need to be wearing multiple hats and trying to solve problems and trying to tape things from the back end to to make things work um so that's what i look mostly and i just also look at their attitude uh are they people fun to work with uh, so i look at that too so let's take that a little further you're sitting in a room and you've just interviewed two candidates one of them has a resume that is all the skills you really want. Maybe they have some incredible programming skills, but they have all these technical skills. But you know, when it comes to kind of their mindset or their attitude, it's okay, but they're like a technical star and an okay fit. And then you have a second candidate that's a, maybe an average skill, right? Their resume is not so impressive. They've done some okay things, but they're really, one's an expert and one's not, but they have all this energy and hustle and attitude. In the startup world, which one do you pick? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on the role. I know I said that it's it's very important the the energy and the hustler, etc. But for example, when you're in a startup world, especially when you when you're hiring for engineers, like okay, if I don't need these engineers to be facing the team all day long or customers, and, and if I know our roadmap and what we need, I rather have someone who knows how to get the task done and move forward versus having someone just want to have fun because now I just want you to build. I just want you to code. So I, I really think it depends on where are you um, in your journey and what's the type of role you're hiring for. For you personally, when you have to make a decision, are you more likely to focus on limiting your downside or maximizing the upside? I'd say that's very clear for me. I maximize because if I don't maximize, I would not have been here. Um, I'd have been in Syria right now. Um, so I always go for the maximize for any decisions. Like, okay, if I do this, that could lead me to potentially get here. And always I think my limit is going to be here. And always I discover that's going to be way higher than what I thought it is because it just opens a huge doors. So you've obviously seen that by taking risk, there's this upside that comes with it. So you've, you've seen it enough now to trust yourself. How do you try to help someone who's earlier in their career, who maybe has been really taught that risk is a bad thing? How do you try to help them get past that? Yeah, that's a great question. For someone that wants to overcome risk, like they just need to get over the, the failure 
because I think it always comes to failure because people don't want to take risks because they don't want to fail. They don't want other people to look at them as a failure versus like switching the mindset and saying failure, it's learning, it's a growth. Because with every time you fall, you learn how to stand up again and pick up the race. So I think it's a mindset, like how we can shift this mindset from failures to a learning and to an experience and to, and to growth. Once you shift that, you just feel your people would feel more thriving and they will be more outgoing to go to those risks. So I want to thank you. I am so excited to see this entrepreneurial mindset applied to some of these really serious social issues. And this idea of bringing the for-profit model to it, it's one of the most exciting things because truly, you're not just creating a business, you're creating a business that does more than just generate financial profits, right? It also solves this problem. And you know what's more fun than giving people opportunity? I just, I think it's one of the coolest things. So I want to thank you. It's been a great pleasure and I cannot wait for people to hear some of your wisdom and advice. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks to Wafa for joining me on Innovators on Tap and sharing some lessons from her life journey, including her perspective about the impact of the job she's creating. As she said, it's not just about money. It's about giving people an opportunity to empower themselves and take control of their lives. We want to thank all of you who have embraced this show and helped us grow our audience so far, including our sponsor, Husco International. While we are proud of our success, we're just getting started and hope that you will tell your friends about the show. We would also really appreciate it if you would take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Please note that we have additional resources available on our website at innovatorsontap.com, including transcripts, articles, and an option to sign up for the Innovation Alley newsletter. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Let's go change the world.